0: Hello, and welcome to Explore, the official University of Exeter podcast. In this episode, I chat to Professor Pascal Abisher, the principal investigator for the Pandemic and Beyond project. This project includes over 70 research areas exploring how the arts and humanities can inform and are contributing to the COVID 19 response. We discuss the range of areas within the project, Pascal's own research into digital performance. As well as asking if the perception of the arts and humanities has been changed by the pandemic. Today I'm joined by Professor Pascal Abisher. It's great to speak to you today. Would you mind just introducing yourself and your role in the Pandemic and Beyond project?
1: Hi, yes. So uh, I'm Pascal Abisher and I am in the Department of English. And last year, uh, when the when the COVID pandemic struck, one of the things happen, that had happened for me was that the research that I'd been doing for years beforehand suddenly uh, sort of came together with the real life situation that we were in during the pandemic. So I had just finished writing a book about Shakespeare and spectatorship and the technologies of performance, which was specifically interested in thinking through how... When we watch a Shakespeare play, that play is changed through technologies. And part of that book had been about digital theatre broadcasts. So the, these other sort of NT Live or RSC Live from Stratford upon Avon broadcasts that we used to get in our cinemas when we were still going into the to the cinema to to sit together and, and watch a play. And so part of that book was about what happens when we watch a play that is no longer live in the sense that we are all in the same room together, but live in a different way because we are experiencing the same cultural object at the same time as a virtual audience. And of course, when COVID arrived, it was like, Oh my goodness, something which I've been thinking about for seven years now suddenly has become the hot topic because everybody is only accessing their culture remotely and we're all thinking about what it means to be socially distanced and to be together apart. And all those questions that I've been asking for such a long time and have been grappling uh, with and finding the answers to, became the thing that we were all interested in and all doing so I started to watch lots of Shakespeare online as one does when one is a Shakespeare prof and and suddenly in lockdown and uh, one of the things that I watched was uh, a production of The Tempest which was not a theatre broadcast, so you you will remember that NT Live opened up its archives and every Thursday night we were all watching uh, an NT Live play, Uh, but those were archival broadcasts. What was special about The Tempest was that it was a live performance by actors who were performing in a socially distanced way from their individual homes in lockdown And we're performing using the Zoom video conferencing platform, which happens to be the platform that we're using to record this interview now. Uh, And we've all got used to it. But at the time, like nobody was doing that. And it was unbelievably exciting because Zoom allows you not only to have a virtual sense of co-presence of, you know, we're we're in different rooms, but we are doing this thing called a conversation and it's working really well. (laughs) Um, but it also allowed the audience to interact with the actors. So suddenly the audience was there visible on our screens as a community because the actors actually interacted with the audience. And we as an audience member were asked to do things like uh, flap our arms about and screech and pretend to be the harpies or or dangle bits of food in front of the characters when they were being tantalised with food uh, and there was this wonderful in-joke when people started to sort of present r- packets of rice to the screen going well you know I've managed to grab the last packet of rice in Tesco's um, so there was a wonderful sense of community and of co-creating a piece of art so this is this is a very long way to come round to, to the idea of um, that that I was in the right place to intervene at that point and to spot the production that was going to make a difference and that was going to allow actors performers freelancers to continue working throughout the pandemic despite the lockdowns and the social distancing. So I very quickly got in touch with the company and went, do you want to do a project with me? They said yes. Three weeks later, we had the project proposal in. We were funded within weeks. And then all of last year, I ran a project with them on how to transform theatre into digital theatre. Based on that, the Arts and Humanities Research Council then decided that they would tap me along with lots of other people on the shoulder to see whether we would be willing to lead and coordinate all of the COVID-19 research, which is funded by the HRC in the UK. And that is what I'm doing now. So I've moved from being myself one of the researchers doing one of those rapid response projects last year to being the person who is coordinating 77 of those research projects, of which there is a large group that has to do with the creative industries, just like what I've just been talking about. But there are also lots of other groups that are doing very different sorts of work.
0: Thank you. It's so interesting that you are so well placed to discover this at this time. Um, You mentioned that there's 77 different projects that you're involved in. Could you maybe just give us a taste of a few that you're kind of involved with? Yes, absolutely. So um,
1: one of the big discoveries that I made when I started this job was of just how broad a definition arts and humanities fits into. So wh- while I thought that I was the only person who was doing proper arts and humanities research, I then very quickly found out that there were lots of people who were doing work, for example, with people in care homes who found it extremely challenging to access any sort of social care and support and any sort of lifeline to the outside world during lockdown. And so this is the work of another Exeter colleague, Victoria Tischler, who has a project called The Culture Box. And that project has to do with how you might be able to offer people who are suffering from dementia and who are in care homes a different cultural activity in a box every so often i i think it's it's monthly or something like that that they they curate a box that has activities in it that has objects in it sensory things music that then allows people in care homes to work together to create art and through those activities to reconnect with one another and with the outside world. So that would be just one quite extraordinary and for for me quite moving project that also taps into the cultural sensitivities of those uh, and needs of those particular care home residents because the contents of the culture box is actually uh, adapted to fit the cultural context from which the care home residents come from so that it's it's actually ethnically and culturally appropriate and sensitive. Another project that I think is just extraordinary is by a colleague uh, at UCL in, in London Jeff King who is drawing up a database uh, called Lex Atlas that is mapping all the different legislative responses to the COVID pandemic across 60 different countries and it's it's bringing together knowledge about what different countries have done in terms of their their legislation to deal with the COVID pandemic, anything from um, compulsory mask wearing to social distancing to Uh, various uh, legislative uh, interventions in medical care and then they're checking how that is working and, and what impact that legislation has so that we can learn from each other's mistakes and learn from when things have gone right and compare different countries' approaches and find the best solutions to the problems that we have. And I'll just give you one more example, and that is a project uh, that is based in London, where they are looking at how different migrant communities in London and, and this sort of 200 different language communities that live in London are accessing information about the pandemic and how they might be getting public health information not just from the UK government and from Public Health England, but they might be getting information that doesn't quite match up with that from other communities and other more trusted uh, information providers, such as, for example, their embassies or the news outlets from their home uh, countries. And therefore, a lot of ambiguity can arise when you when you when you're not quite sure whether you should believe what is coming to you from from your own uh, community or from public health England. And it's a project that is trying to bridge that gap and trying to help us translate public health messaging in such a way that it reaches people in an unambiguous way so that the information is trusted and and also acted on. So these are very concrete ways in which uh, arts and humanities are able to make a difference to the pandemic response and actually save lives.
0: Yeah, that's so important. And some of the projects you mentioned, I think, especially during kind of lockdowns and during COVID, community building versus kind of isolation that people can feel has been really important. When you mentioned things like culture boxes and the importance of communication, I know for me personally, you know, reading books, those online theatre plays made a real difference. So do you think that people now have a different perspective on the arts and humanities because of the COVID 19 pandemic? I think we're in a real, really sort of weird paradoxical time where,
1: on the one hand, what we're hearing from government is very much uh, a mantra that is privileging STEM subjects. So these are sort of science, technology, engineering, maths subjects where they are quite officially rerouting some of the funding from the arts and humanities to stem subjects because there is a perception that stem subjects are what solved the pandemic and what will help us rebuild after the pandemic so you, you you've got that thing going on in one corner of of our world and then you've got the lived experience of pretty much everybody else (laughs) who have all managed to get through the pandemic because of the community building that has happened because of Arts and Humanities engagement. So it's been an absolute lifeline for people to be able to access the arts online. There is ample evidence that people in care homes uh, would have had much more deteriorating mental health Had there not been arts-based approaches to care that have plugged so many of the gaps in social care uh, uh, and so many of the things that the NHS wasn't able to provide because the NHS was looking after the the COVID ill, uh, at that point, Arts and Humanities have stepped in. Uh, And there have been wonderful projects to do with reading with people over the phone, creating plays together. There, There is a project that does a creative doodle book where people share their doodles that they've done physically in a book through Zoom. Uh, and sharing this sort of creative act people have been writing poetry to get through this so the arts and humanities not only in these very concrete ways of you know of finding the best laws or the, the best communication strategies to reach most people and therefore save lives that they've not only been involved in that sort of frontline way there but they've also just given everybody else something to love. Now at the moment we have the sports that have come in and have sort of taken over that role ever since the reopening but you know human beings do not live on sports alone (laughs) and for, for every football lover There will be somebody who just is dying to reconnect through a reading group or through a theatre group or through some painting or going to an art gallery or enjoying beautiful music or going to watch dance. And all of these things are what actually makes us human beings and will make us more resilient and have better mental health so that we can then rebuild the economy.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, It's just so important. And like you say, sports events are only temporary. So it's nice to have other things to look forward to as well. You might lose uh, in football or in tennis, (laughs) whereas you're not going to lose when you're reading a book. You might need one to console yourself, actually. So I know having theatre online and more arts and humanities provision online has kind of provided some people with greater accessibility opportunities. Is that something that your project's considering? Is that something you think might continue after the pandemic or as the pandemic continues?
1: Yes, and this is is a question which brings me right back to the beginning and and to the project I was doing last year with the theatre work. What we found was that there was very clear evidence that theatre was reaching people that it wasn't reaching before. It was reaching some of the same audiences, but it was also now suddenly reaching new audiences. And those new audiences could be more diverse in various ways. So it could now include neurodiverse people um, who are just completely outside of their comfort zone, uh, sometimes when they go to uh, a, a theatre building and they have to uh, cope with the, the difficulties of a completely structured environment that is not familiar to them. Um, so suddenly some of these people were able to, to access plays. But also people with specific disabilities, um, uh, whether they they were age-related, so people who are are quite elderly and can't really go and participate in a site-specific promenade performance that involves a three-kilometre walk. um, (laughs) They they were now suddenly able to, to access this. But also, interestingly, you have audiences who are just not that interested in theatre who were suddenly tuning in because to them digital drama was not quite the same thing as going into that theatre that is quite intimidating but it was more like film, it was more like YouTube, it was more like social media and therefore it was something that was well within their comfort zone and once they consumed it they came again. So the research that we we did showed that the new audiences that this is creating are really keen on returning and on continuing with digital theatre, even as we go back to an analogue mode. And the theatre companies that I worked with also did some analysis of the carbon savings and the carbon emissions when they do a a real-life show opposed to a digital show and they found that just set design is hugely carbon intensive because they're they're using a type of plywood that that is actually really bad for the environment Um, but it's not just the plywood it's the sound it's the lights it's the travel of all the actors to the workplace it's a travel of all the audience members to the place of performance and it's a travel of the babysitter who has to travel to the house to look after the baby so the parents can go to the theatre that is carbon intensive so there are absolutely massive carbon savings in doing theatre digitally and so they're bearing that in mind both companies that I worked with are now moving towards a hybrid way of operating they will continue to have live shows in person in front of in-person audiences but they are now finding ways of combining that with a digital element sometimes in the same performance so that you have a digital audience coming together with an analog audience each part of the equation is having a different experience of the same thing they are interacting and they are enjoying the same show and so they are experimenting very much with that sort of post-pandemic,
0: part in, part out return to performance. It's kind of a new experience hybrid, something completely new and reaching people where they are, I think, is a really important part of that. But it's interesting that you mention how that hybrid mode is helping with addressing the climate emergency. But maybe just as one of my last questions, what are your hopes for the project? Because I know I think your funding is until 2023. So what are your kind of big hopes for the project and where might it be by then?
1: Well, our our big aim for the project is that it will help the different research projects that we're looking after reach a, a broader public and reach a broader public, not just of people who themselves have gone through the pandemic and who would like to find out more about what's been happening to other people during the pandemic and how arts-based approaches have helped us through that time, but also reach uh, a public of people in government and policymakers so that many of the approaches that we're finding have been so effective during the pandemic can then carry on beyond that pandemic with support from the government and from the NHS that recognises the extent to which the work that our projects have been doing have really plugged those gaps. The social care gaps, the, the mental health gaps left over by the current systems and how going forward we really need to think about the arts and humanities as as deeply part of the social structure of the country but also an economic force because before the pandemic uh, I think I've got this figure right the latest figure that we had before the pandemic was that the creative industries contributed 11.8% billion pounds to the economy per year. That's one of the largest industries in the country and it would be catastrophic if after the pandemic and after Brexit we lost that component of uh, the economy because it's actually one of the really big export products for the UK and if we do not invest in the arts and humanities and in the creative industries, then we are actually really damaging our standing in the world and our economy too. And it's it's at a point where the UK desperately needs to establish itself as one of the leading countries in the world. And it it seems like a no-brainer to me that helping the creative industries get back on track and become world-leading again after the pandemic it is one of the easiest
0: wins that we can have. That's such a big figure. I definitely hadn't heard that before. Just to finish, um, is there kind of uh, a favourite thing you've learnt so far in the project or kind of your a favourite part of the project that you just want to finish on?
1: That's a really difficult question because I've learnt to, to love so many <laughs> different aspects of it. This is going to be a, a weird love. And perhaps an unexpected one and, and a very niche one. But um, as an academic, for many years, I've been working in a silo of my own. You know, I've been working in my little office and and doing lots of archival work, always me and my laptop on my own. And the, the past year has been completely transformative of my working methods because... I used to work for perfection and for the intricate crafting of a beautiful argument that I took a very long time over until it was right to be put out there in the public domain. I'm not saying that things I wrote before were always perfect, (laughs) they weren't, but I tried. (laughs) And what the pandemic has led to is a far more collaborative cooperative way of working where I'm no longer working on my own I'm always working with other people we work at tremendous speed I have never written as much as since the the pandemic struck and we write in a very different way we write hastily but still thoughtfully it's just that it's no longer the beautiful prose, but it's very useful prose. And it's uh, it's writing that comes out of the need to do something and to change something and to help people. And the collaborative mode of working that we're establishing is just amazing because th- there's nothing quite like having a Zoom screen full of... Uh, people in gallery view (laughs) who are all trying to help each other and are all sharing their resources and their know-how and their methodologies and the the connections that they've got in order to create something that is better for all of us and that has been utterly inspiring and it will carry me through life I think you know this idea that Together, we can actually do something that we wouldn't be able to do alone. And that perfection isn't the ultimate goal. It's actually doing things that make the world a better place. Now, not in five years. And that is really a, a complete transformation and, and a real discovery for me.
0: That's great. Thank you. What an inspiring place to end. And it's so impressive that you've managed to foster a sense of collaboration even at times when we can't be together physically so thank you for joining us today welcome it's been a pleasure to find out more about the pandemic and beyond project you can check out their website online thanks for listening to this episode of explore and stay tuned for our next episode